If you brought your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to talk this week, next week, maybe a couple weeks in November. By the way, boys and girls, thank you, are dismissed at Kids Church. You beat me to it. And so God bless you, boys and girls, as you head off to Kids Church. But we're going to spend a few weeks in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, we're talking today on being on guard. Being on guard. Be on guard. And uh, as we continue in our sermon series, always keep in mind when you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 9, or 10, they all kind of are together, and, and they really answer the big question, what about my rights? And, and we saw in chapter 8, you know, the, the topic of meat offered to idols and love and rights in chapter 8, and then in chapter 9, the apostle Paul giving up his rights as an apostle for the sake of the gospel and the right of others to hear the gospel. And so we have Paul's example in chapter 9. And then we come to chapter 10 and we see uh, Israel's example. And it wasn't such a good example for they were abusing, if you will, their rights uh, as God's people. Well, chapter 8, Paul admonishes the church to practice love, not to use your freedom in a way that causes others to stumble. We dealt with that about a month ago. And then in chapter 9, Paul, you know, we're to be like him, giving up your rights for others and for self and for the gospel. And then chapter 10, we're admonished not to be like Israel. In other words, limit your freedom, discipline yourself so you do not fall away. Always keep in mind, friends, it is possible to fall from grace. I know some churches don't believe that and will teach on the doctrine called eternal security, but it is possible to fall away from God. In other words, our language, it's possible to backslide. It's possible to stay backslidden and miss God altogether. Now, some of the Corinthians felt like they had the right to attend the pagan uh, temples to eat the meat that was offered to, idol and so, to idols. And so Paul, in, in, in chapter 8, talked about the weak, the weak versus the strong believers, and he counseled the strong not to do anything to cause the weak to stumble. And then in chapter 9, as you recall, Paul uses his own example, his own life as an example of giving up rights for others. But then we come to today's topic, today's chapter, chapter 10. And really, Paul becomes very bold, basically warning the church, like, I'm warning you, don't be ignorant of the fact that even though you are redeemed now and a partaker of divine grace now, be careful, be on guard, because you might be rejected by God because of your evil conduct. Uh, just look at, once again, Israel's example and experience. In other words, it's possible to forfeit your salvation or your election. If you repeat Israel's unfaithfulness, you too will receive God's judgment and there is that fall from grace. Therefore, Paul is telling the church in Corinth, as well as us today, don't set your heart on evil things. Don't be idolaters. Don't commit sexual immorality. Don't test the Lord or provoke God to anger. Don't grumble and complain. We'll look at all those things in the weeks ahead. But I understand this, and I'm going to repeat myself toward the end this morning of the same thing. God in his mercy warns us not to scare us, but God in his mercy warns us 
to prepare us. Big difference. Now, it doesn't matter how much confidence you have or have not. It doesn't matter how much knowledge you have. And we've talked about that in the Corinthian church as well and the Gnostics and such. It doesn't matter how many victories you have. You may have piled up in the past that you have tucked under your belt, so to speak. We all must hear the warning and heed the call to be on guard in every area of our life. In other words, it's not enough just to read about this and to say, okay, that's good for them, for Israel, 1 Corinthians 10, as well as Exodus and the Old Testament and the Pentateuch, and so that's all good for them. But, but no, we have to understand that this word of warning was given to them not just to hear, but to heed. All right, and so we have to heed this word as well. Now, this may seem like a somber word because by nature, warning signs are quite somber. But today's message is actually a word of hope, and it's this. No one need to fall by the wayside. Everyone who is listening to me today, either in church or online, right now, you can be assured that you don't have to fall by the wayside, that you can move on toward victory in Christ Jesus, but it has to be done, please hear me, it has to be done God's way and not your way. Amen. Amen. We all get ourselves in the trouble, and I'm including we as me, we get ourselves in the trouble by thinking that we know more than God. Friends, nothing could be further from the truth, all right? And so uh, you can live a life of victory if you'll only be on guard, stay spiritually alert, and live your life according to God's standards and not your own. And so with that being said, let me also say that life is not a losing proposition. In fact, life is full of battles that we are guaranteed to win and can win because God has given us all that we need to walk in faith, to walk in victory, down to the very warnings that he's warning Israel with, which is good for us as well. In other words, God warns us, once again, not to scare us, but to prepare us. He warns us so we can learn life's lessons from those who have gone before us who have learned sometimes the hard way. I've said before, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, but even turning 61 years of age today doesn't mean that my mistake-making days are over. Hopefully, though, I won't make all the mistakes there are to make, and I can follow the example of others who have made some bad choices, Israel, that I don't repeat their mistakes. Amen? And so with that being said, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 10 for our text this morning, reading verses 1 through 13. Paul, writing chapter 10, verse 1, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all Note the word all. They all drank the same, or excuse me, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. We'll get into that more next week. Nevertheless, verse 5 God was not pleased with most of them. Let me just pause right there. 
One of the things we have to distinguish between is that God loves us, and you would say yes and affirmative, I am thankful that God loves me. But just because God loves me doesn't mean that God's always pleased with me. I learned this way back when, when I was studying in Malachi chapter 1, God says, I loved you, but later on in that chapter, but I'm not pleased with you. So God's love is eternal. I'm, I'm thankful for God's love. But let's not, let's not go overboard on God's love without also noting the commandments and the obedience lifestyle and the being set apart unto God and doing things God's way. And so a lot of times people will want to cover their sin. Well, well, God loves me. Yes, he does. But that doesn't mean that God's always pleased with me. And so make that distinction. Here they were. God was not pleased. He loved them. He loved Israel. But he was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now, Verse 6, key. These things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. Once again, verse 6, verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. Can you say God is faithful? And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. These verses contain what we know as the warning example of Israel and really the exhortation to the body of Christ even today to be careful, to be on guard, lest we fall. Now, this topic, the security of the believer, is one of the greatest doctrines of the Bible. The security of the believer. We also know this as uh, eternal security, uh, unconditional uh, 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 salvation, whatever. But, but we have to be careful because this doctrine actually has been preached and taught with an inadequate understanding of the doctrine and then to the neglect of the warnings that we see in Scripture, this being one of them. And really the result has been tragic for it has brought multitudes upon multitudes into the church listen to me, who have not been genuinely converted to Jesus Christ. In other words, it has given a lot of people a false sense of security and overconfidence. I read, on average, whereas in America, in the American church, 70% of the people who attend church in America on a regular basis are not truly born again. 70% are not true followers of Jesus Christ. Seven out of ten. 
Not the best odds, are they? All right. Well, multitudes today think they are Christians and they think they're followers of Christ, but honestly, their lives do not match their profession. Now, two of the greatest problems facing the church today is that of false security and overconfidence. False security and overconfidence. But the scripture is clear. A person may think and say he is saved, but he may be wrong. Saying and thinking do not make a person safe and secure in Christ. Saying and thinking are not the reality of the evidence or the evidence of salvation. A person may be baptized. A person may may be a member of a church, but baptism and church membership do not make a person safe and secure in Christ. A person may partake of the Lord's Supper or sacrament and think he or she is thereby safe and secure in Christ, but partaking of the bread and wine do not make a person safe and secure in Christ. A person may even sense the presence of a supernatural being or be greatly gifted and very active in the church, but once again, it is not these things that make a person safe and secure in Christ. This, my friends, was the problem with the Corinthian believers. All these things were true of them, and the Corinthians, man, they felt safe, they they felt secure in Christ, but they were wrong. And they needed, honestly, they needed to be strongly warned lest they remain in their deception and they be doomed. Now, You'll recall from last Sunday, if you were here, our text, even Paul had this idea, well, I don't want to preach to to others and be disqualified for the prize. Even Paul thought it possible for him, himself, to be disqualified for the prize. And that's why he wrote, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one gets the prize. And he says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, Paul says, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave. So after I have preached to others, I myself, Paul says, will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul, even though he preached to others, planted churches, discipled others, saw saw lives being transformed by the power of the gospel, Paul knew the possibility existed for himself to be disqualified for the prize. Once again, the Christian believer is in a race. It's a race for the incorruptible crown. And the crown of life, church, is not given to a person on a silver platter. A person must run to win the race. Now, the very word run implies engaging in the race. If you're going to run the race, you're going to be a participant in that race. You're going to be engaged in the race. Running implies discipline. Running implies denying yourself terms that we don't like, right? 
but, but it's there. Running implies straining to control your life, if you will, his or her life for Christ. So if a person does not run, does not do so, they will become a castaway. Well, that was 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the last four verses, and Paul reiterates this then in chapter 10 to reinforce his point. And Paul really uses the nation of Israel as a prime example. You see, Israel had been greatly privileged by God in every way imaginable. And if any people felt safe and secure, Israel did. And yet the people perished in the wilderness outside the promised land because God was not pleased with most of them, it says. And so Paul is simply saying, church, Corinthian, Christ followers, I'm warning you. You see, would to God today, we had more voices crying out in the wilderness, I'm warning you, get right with God, stay right with God, don't be involved in that sin, don't commit sexual immorality, I'm warning you, we need today more preachers and evangelists and teachers and parents and grandparents and leaders that will warn people with this simply, with this simple premise, you know something, Privilege guarantees nothing. You can be the most blessed, the most privileged person in the world, and you can still miss God. And that's what Paul was saying here. You see, the voices that would be crying out, do things God's way, not your way. Do not neglect such a great salvation. Now, believers who feel safe and secure are, in 1 Corinthians 10, warned by the example of Israel. Once again, realize the context here between 1 Corinthians chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10 that I opened up with this morning. That's why Paul goes into so much detail in these verses and why I want to park here for a few weeks and talk about this as we lay out the privileges of Israel and how privileges guarantee nothing, but then also looking at the things that, that was not pleasing to God from wanting their own way to lust, to greed, to sexual immorality, testing God, complaining, grumbling, whatever it might be. Listen to the King James Version of chapter 10, verse 6 and verse 11. First of all, the King James Bible says, Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust, that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And then verse 11, Now all these things happened unto them for N samples, E-N-S-A-M-P-L-E-S, N samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. I love the message paraphrase. It's not a translation. It's a paraphrase, but I like to read various translations and paraphrases for clarity. And the message does a great job in verses 6 and 11. The same thing could happen to us. We must be on guard so that we never get caught up in our wanting our own way as they did. Kind of spells it out, doesn't it? So we don't get so caught up in wanting our way as they did. And then verse 11. These are all warning markers. Danger. In our history books written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. In other words, learn from, from what went wrong there. And then it goes on. Our positions in the story are parallel. They at the beginning, we at the end. And we are just as capable of 
of messing it up as they were. Truth, all right? And we are. You see, we have a tendency today to feel, well, I could never be so better off. I mean, I got it going good. I am successful. But yet Paul says, be careful if you think you stand, lest you fall. In other words, don't get caught up with a false sense of security, of self-confidence. You see, the hardest time for you and I to correct someone is when they're doing well, when they think they're doing well. You've heard me say before in the last few weeks, it's not how well we begin, it's how well we end that matters. 1 Kings 20, verse 11, the king of Israel answered, tell him, one who puts on his armor should not boast like the one who takes it off. In other words, it's not he who puts it on, but he who takes it off that wins. How many remember Aesop's fable of the hare and the tortoise? A tortoise and a hare decide to race, and the hare gets overconfident in the lead, so he naps while the tortoise keeps going on to win. And the, and the tortoise found out that slow and steady wins the race. R run to finish the race. As Paul says, going back to chapter 9, hey, we're all in a race. We're all in a race. You see, the moment we become a Christian, honestly, we begin our Christian race, and we're to run in such a way as to get the prize. And then in the very closing verses of chapter 9, Paul makes it the point that, that the life of faith is like a race in which every child of God takes part in. Well, Paul was in that race. The Corinthians were in that race. Well, as I've established, we too are in this race. The implication is, yet yeah, we're all running the same race. Once again, run to win. But then in chapter 10, Paul brings Israel back into the picture. Well, the race for Israel really began in Egypt. It's where God fired his proverbial starting pistol, so to speak. The Passover lamb was killed. The blood was smeared on the doorposts of their homes. And the death angel saw the blood. He passed over their homes. And several thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of Israelites with all their livestock marched out of Egypt under the mighty hand of God following their great leader, Moses. Well, Israel's race began with much momentum and with great promise. It was a great, fabulous start. It was a dynamic start. When the Israelites left Egypt, they took with them the plunder of the Egyptians. For Exodus 12, 35 and 36 tells us the Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. And the Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people and gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. I mean, God's hand was on Israel. May the surrounding countries of Israel even today see how God's hand is on Israel. I've shared in the last few weeks just praying for Israel, but talking about this from last Sunday morning to this past Wednesday, this morning as well, I for one would not be in, in an army that was going against the Jewish people. I mean, I, I read history, all right? You know, God says, stand still and see the salvation. See the mighty delivering hand of God. I mean, come on, nations around Israel, wise up, you know? But uh, we also know that, that people are being deceived today. 
and, and you don't believe me, look at all the anti-Semitism that is available, that is around today, even as a result of this current war. And it's like, okay, that gives me an idea how the nations will come against Israel and have this, this, this I'll just call it for what it is, this demonic vitriol toward the people of God because of their deception. Well, back to Israel, God led them to the Red Sea. He, he uh, led them to the wilderness of Sinai, where God provided their spiritual food. You know, what is it? Manna. It's called, you know, manna today, manna tomorrow, you know, manna bread, manna pancakes, I don't know. But they had lots of spiritual food, and they drank from this spiritual rock, and that rock was Christ. Once again, we'll cover this uh, in, in the next few weeks. Well, the cloud of God's presence also guided them. It sheltered them from heat by day, and his fire warmed them, warmed them and lit their way by night. I mean, God's, God's care, God's provision for his people was complete. It was total. I mean, if you think about it, the children of Israel were incredibly privileged, children of privilege. Unfortunately, they didn't see themselves that way. The Israelites repeatedly complained of their situation. They complained of their conditions in the wilderness. I mean, they longed to return to Egypt and the pots of meat where we ate bread to the full. Exodus 16, 3 says, The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. What? You want to go back to slavery? Only if we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us to, in this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Once again, they began their race, but their hearts weren't in it. Even though they left Egypt, Egypt was still in them. They were still dealing with the pull of the world. The world was still tugging at their hearts. Their hearts were still back in Egypt. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Evidently, their stomach was their God because that's what they were saying. We, we liked the meat, we liked the food, we liked all that. Well, because of this, the Bible says God was not pleased with most of them and they were laid low in the wilderness. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now think about this. Over the one plus two plus million or more Israelites above the age of 20 who started out only two only two finished and entered into God's purpose. Joshua and Caleb alone, of all the first generation, were the only two that made it in the land that God had promised. Friends, one in a million are pretty bad odds. I'm not a gambler, but at those kind of odds, I'm not gambling. All right. I, I always say gambling is for those who aren't good at math. All right. So I've, I've never been caught up in the lottery, this and that and everything else. I alluded to that last week or the week before. Anyway, Paul says in verse 6, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on the things, on the evil things as they did. And then once again, be careful if you're standing firm, if you think you're standing firm, that you don't fall. Now, why did Paul feel it necessary to issue such a warning to the people at Corinth 
and then to us today. Remember that Paul was absolutely committed to finishing the race, and he wanted to make sure the Corinthian believers would finish their race as well. And so Paul, in using Israel, used their experience really as an object lesson to emphasize the fact, once again, it's not how we begin, it's not near as important as that we end, that we finish the race. Once again, Israel began with great privilege. God provided for their every need. He fed them. He furnished water for them. He kept their clothes from wearing out. God's protecting hand was over them. He led them. And best of all, God gave them his divine presence in their midst. I mean, any day they could look and see the cloud by day, the fire by night. And as a reminder, God is with us. That was wonderful. And yet, Paul, in spite of all these advantages, uh, was, was showing Israel they failed spiritually. They did, not, they did not pass the test, so to speak. And Paul wanted to make sure that the Corinthian church, but as well as you and I today, us today, didn't fail God in the same way. Now, the Corinthians, if you go back to chapter 1, you'll recall they were enriched in everything in Christ, and we're not lacking any spiritual gift. Verse 5, for in him you have been enriched in every way. Verse 7, you do not lack any spiritual gift. I mean, the gifts were flowing in the church in Corinth. They were prospering both spiritually, they were prospering financially, materially. God had blessed Israel greatly. He had blessed the church in Corinth greatly, and yet they were in danger of going back to their old lifestyle of sin. Now, you'll recall that many in the Corinthian, in the Corinthian church, many of the Corinthian Christians had come out of a pagan background characterized by idol worship which included, from a few weeks back, you know, food being sacrificed, meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And then engaging in the ritualistic sex with the temple prostitutes. Well, these believers faced the very real threat of being sucked back into the immorality and idolatry that they had, that they had left upon becoming Christians. And, and honestly, church, like the church at Corinth, we too... The church today has been incredibly blessed with the blessing of God, with the privileges of God. And, and really Paul's lesson here for the church in Corinth for us today is to help you and I avoid the problems they fell into. In other words, not only were they to heed his warning, but we need to hear and heed his warning as well. I mean, why after having begun so well in the faith, did the Israelites' journey end so tragically? I mean, they had everything going for them, and yet they turned their backs. They turned their backs on God. They wanted to do things their way, and all but two fell in the wilderness. Well, in his lesson, Paul, first of all, listed out the wonderful blessings, the great privileges that the Israelites enjoyed but then he describes how they fell. And so in keeping with Paul's letter here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to look at the privileges. I'll cover three of the five today, and because of time, we'll pick up the other two and then some lessons regarding that next week. And then in November, we'll pick this up after, uh, 
help me. November 5 is Veterans Day Observance. We'll have a special day for that. So let's look at the privileges of Israel in detail. And the first one is this. They all were, number one, under the cloud. Paul says, our fathers were all under the cloud, 1 Corinthians 10.1. Now, what was the cloud, and what's the significance of the cloud? If I were to ask young people that question today, I'm sure I'd get, well, the clouds, a memory storage bank somewhere in cyberland, you know, here and there, and how many have used the cloud? How many use the cloud and do not know it, all right? I don't know. That's not the cloud we're talking about. The cloud, Exodus 13, 21, says this, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel either by day or by night. And so there was a cloud, of, a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. Exodus 24, 15, when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it. In Exodus 34, verse 5, the Lord came down in the cloud. Just as Jesus went up in a cloud, he's going to come back, and, and we're going to meet him in the air in the cloud as well, right? But the cloud was really this. It was a sign of God's presence being with them. God went, went before them, as the word says, in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, the cloud never departed from them. At any moment of the day or the night, an Israelite could look up and see the manifest presence of God Almighty in their midst, being the cloud by day or the fire by night. And so it was simply a, a, a reminder of God's presence being with them. What did Jesus say? Hey, as you go, as you preach, as you make disciples, remember I'm always with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The presence of God it was with Israel. And so that's a wonderful blessing. Another blessing in the cloud was this. The cloud not only signified God's presence, but it also gave evidence of God's protection. God's protection. Shortly after leaving Egypt, the Israelites were pursued by Pharaoh's army. Caught with their backs in this to the sea, the Israelites appeared to be an easy target. However, when the Israelites moved forward through the sea, the pillar of cloud moved from in front of the people to their rear, hovering between them and the pursuing Egyptians. You might not remember this, but I remind you of what Exodus 14, 19 and 20 says. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. Then it says this, the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. Verse 20, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Think about that. Think what God could do today. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side, Egypt, and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. It was God's hand of protection. See, God placed himself as a shield of protection between his people and their enemies. The cloud also protected God's people from the harshness of the environment. Now, the Sinai wilderness posed at least four significant potential dangers to the Israelites. First of all, scarcity of food. We're in a desert. Don't see a lot of 
uh, elk or deer wandering around the desert. All right, lack of water, you're in a desert. Intense heat by day, you're in a desert. And intense cold at night. The biblical record makes it clear that God abundantly provided for each of these needs. Paul said, Israel all were under the cloud. Now, while this means the people were under God's direction and leadership, it also may mean the cloud was not always a column that went straight up into the air, but at times hovered, as you will, of a, of a, of a cloud, or a mushroom shape, of whatever, an umbrella, if you will, over the people of Israel. In this way, God's cloud would have sheltered them from the burning sun by day and the oppressive heat by day. Now, we live in a desert. We know about the burning sun and oppressive heat. You don't believe me? Welcome to 2023. It was the hottest record of heat in the Phoenix metro area. You know, we know about the burning sun. We know about oppressive heat. 2023 has been a record year. Even our highest low is like, what, 96, 97 in July? That was our low. Hello? How many are glad for these times of the year? I mean, when you get into, when you get into uh, October, it's like, wow, the air conditioner can shut off. Well, not this coming week. It's still supposed to be 100 again, you know. It's like, really? I thought we were done with the 100s. But anyway, so uh, cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. And, and uh, Numbers 14, 14, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They have already heard that you, O Lord, are with these people and that you, O Lord, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And so the cloud was a sign not only to Israel, but even a sign to others, you know something? God is with them people. God's presence is there. God's protection is there. God's provision is there. In contrast, the pillar of fire at night would have provided, in addition to light, warmth against the cold night air. The cold night air. Now, once again, just as the desert heats up during the day, in the winter months, it cools down awful fast. Once that sun goes down, you need a light jacket. Well, yeah, you do. The older you get, you do. It's amazing how the desert cools off at night. Now, this may be part of the thought behind the scripture in Psalm 121, verse 6, that says the sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. When the cloud stood... Between Israel and Egypt, there was a light on Israel's side, but darkness in Egypt. And this was more than just a physical reality. It also represented a spiritual truth. Those who know the Lord and live for the Lord live in the light. Going back to 1 John 1, 7, 8, and 9, uh, they live in the light. They walk in the light. Those who don't know God walk in darkness. So we also have that parallel going on as well. Ephesians 5.8 For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Now, the Israelites had the remarkable privilege of living under the cloud of God's supernatural protection and in the light of His divine presence as His special 
people as his special possession. I mean, God had called them. God had delivered them. God wanted to mature them and prepare them for his purpose of being light to the nations. Well, Paul himself knew what it was like to come under God's cloud and God's presence for his own purpose. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. As a young Jewish zealot on his way to Damascus to persecute the church, the cloud of God's presence, if you will, overshadowed him. There was the light of the glory of Christ. And Paul immediately bowed in surrender. God's presence, though, brought with it a purpose and a responsibility. Later, God spoke to him, and Paul shared, or Luke shares, in Luke's writing of Acts 26, Now get up, Paul, Saul, and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. And so God revealed himself through Christ to Paul. Saul became Paul. God revealed himself to him because God had a purpose for his life. Once again, every one of us are called by God. Every one of us has a purpose that God wants to fulfill through us. May you and I be faithful to the purposes of God and to serve the purposes of God in our generation. Well, when God first appeared to Moses at the burning bush, it wasn't simply a case of Moses having some great experience. Wow, the bush is on fire, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't consumed. But rather, it was a charging charging him with the divine commission. That was true for Abraham, as well as for the 120 in the upper room. Cloven tongues, like as of fire, suddenly appeared and rested on them. They, they didn't receive the, the cloven tongues like as of fire for the experience alone, but God wanted to fill them so they could fulfill the purpose of God in their generation. In other words, they were to testify throughout the world to the glory of God. Well, in the same way, this holds true for you and for me. God has called you and me into his light for his purpose. All, all of Israel were under the cloud, number one, privilege number one. Number two, they all passed through the sea, verse one, chapter 10. All of Israel passed through the sea. The sea was the place where God miraculously delivered the Israelites from the pursuing Egyptian army. I don't have time this morning, but I'll reference you to Exodus chapter 14 and read throughout Exodus how God brought them out, how God delivered them. Well, passing through the sea can be compared to baptism, water baptism. The Israelites passed through the waters, leaving behind their old life with all of its bondage and servitude and taskmasters and hardships and sorrows, and they ascended the other bank on the other side, raised, as it were, into the newness of life. You know, they were standing there beside the sea, and they could see all the negative things that were uh, controlling their lives for generations that were all of a sudden lifted off and completely cut off from them. The power of sin was broken over their lives. Ahead of them lay peace and prosperity and purpose and fulfillment. At least that's what God's plan was. Now, we as believers also have, if you recall, a similar experience. Before Christ, we were all in darkness and in bondage to sin. We were all lost without God, without hope in the world. Sin was our absolute master. But the good news is Jesus Christ has delivered us from 
from all of our sin. He has set us free. And as we heard a few weeks ago when Teen Challenge was here, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I mean, free to live in righteousness, free to live in holiness before God, free to fulfill God's purpose for our lives, free to walk in intimate fellowship with God. Since water in Scripture often symbolizes the Holy Spirit of God, the physical sea the Israelites has is a spirit, it's a spiritual parallel for us. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. And so here we have, once again, Israel, blessed beyond measure, blessed to be under the cloud, blessed to be going through the sea and seeing God's hand of provision on their lives. The third privilege is this, number three, and I'll close, start to close with this one. They were baptized into Moses. Now after, after they, they were under the cloud, they passed through the sea, the Bible says, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, verse 2. You see, church, one of the blessings that God gives and bestows on an obedient people is to give them good, sound leaders. But the opposite is also true. When people turn away from God, when people do their own thing, one of the ways that God brings judgment is to remove wise leaders and raise up foolish ones in their place. You make the connection. I don't have to say a word. You got the connection. Back in the 1990s, I said this. I said America didn't get a Bill Clinton until America became a Bill Clinton. In other words, we have the leaders we deserve. The prophet Isaiah wrote, Isaiah 29, 13 and 14, the Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Therefore, once more, God says, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The, intelligent of the, intelli the intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. You see, when Israel turned its back on God and refused God's kingship over their lives, God responded to their, re their request for a king. It wasn't God's will to give them a king, but God gave them what they wanted. In 1 Samuel 8, 5, they said to him, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. In other words, we want to be like all the other nations. America, be warned. See, God, when they called out for a king, God gave them a Saul. And just as America didn't get a Bill Clinton until America became a Bill Clinton, realize that Israel never got a King Saul until Israel became a Saul. Every time you and I do things our way instead of God's way, we are in trouble. Individually and as a nation. King David graphically described Saul's life when David sought to bring back the ark. 1 Chronicles 13 verse 3 records, Let us bring the ark of our, of our God back to us, 
for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. I mean, wow, they did not inquire of it when Saul was king. See, Israel was first governed by a king who never sought God's counsel or God's face. Unfortunately, many leaders fall today and they're in that same category. They don't seek God. They do things their way. They want to try being like all the other nations. And as a result, people suffer the consequences of ungodly leadership. The phrase baptized into Moses is almost unanimously understood by biblical scholars to mean that the Israelites were all immersed. They were all immersed under the leadership of Moses. And without a doubt, Moses ranks as one of the greatest leaders in history, especially in Israel's history. Moses stood as a type of Christ. God gave Israel the leader it needed to reach the promised land. Therefore, any person who followed Moses through the Red Sea and under the cloud was baptized, was immersed, and given over to Moses and his mission. They acknowledged Moses as their leader. In the mind of a Jew, there could be no greater leader, for he represented the ultimate Jew, so to speak. Moses was faithful. He was devoted to his God. He taught the people the ways of God and led them to live according to the laws of God. I mean, what a privilege it was for the people of Israel to have such great leadership for someone to be leading them as Moses himself was leading him, leading them. Likewise, even today, the body of Christ has benefited from the teaching and example of a number of spiritual and godly leaders, past and present. Sister Vinnie Milton is in our church today, but it was her husband that built this facility. We honor him. We honor the memory his godly example, his godly leadership. We learned this past April at the ministers' meetings that we had once a year for the Arizona Ministry Network at our network conference that Pastor Stephen Harris is not going to let his name run for another term. Kind of shocked us all as ministers. Like, he's the only leader I've known since I've been here in two weeks, 23 years. And so he'll be stepping down. I have no, we have no idea who'll be stepping down. Learning from Austin Jones uh, when I was in Alaska a few, few months ago that the Alaska district superintendent is not allowing his name to go forward as well. Once again, there's that leadership vacuum. But God raises up leaders. God raises up people that will, that will hold his standard. See, the church of today has a great history of God's moving in our midst, and we need to remember and appreciate the privileges of our great spiritual heritage. And so here's Israel. I mean, Israel had every blessing going for it, from being under the cloud, from, from seeing God's hand in the Red Sea, and there was walls of water. Some people, some scholars will say, yeah, but the Red Sea wasn't that deep, and it wasn't much of a miracle. Well, if it was only a little puddle for God to drown all the Egyptians in that much water is more of a miracle than if it was 20 feet deep. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, I, I just, anyway, anyway. Let me just pause right there. We'll pick up with the, the manna next week 
and then also the water from the rock, and that, that rock was Christ. I mean, in their midst, they had, they had every, every spiritual privilege, blessing going for them, and yet they missed out, all but two. And so I, I say all that, and I'll repeat this next week as well, but, but God, church, God has given us what we need for victory down to the very warnings, the examples that we have before us. God has given us everything we need to finish the race that we're running. You see, God hasn't given us these warnings, though, to scare us, but to prepare us. And we must hear them, and we must heed them. My question to you this morning as I wrap this up is simple. What is Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? What is God speaking to your heart this morning? Are you at a place right now where you need to be, or have you been following the example of Israel doing things your way? Because God was not pleased with most of them, a couple million of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness in the desert. Would to God that you and I live our lives to please God, to live for God, to do things God's way, to move beyond, here it is, we'll get to this in the weeks ahead, to move beyond privilege to living out his purpose for our lives. And with that carries responsibility as well. May God speak to us so powerfully that we would not just hear the warning, but that we would heed the warning as well. Let's all stand to our feet. I'll close this in prayer this morning. But God's been tugging at your heart during this message, and you're saying, yeah, man, I really am and have been a person of privilege. I've been blessed by God. That proves nothing other than the goodness of God, all right? The graciousness of God. Let's not be like Israel, but let's finish the race that we started out on. And let's run to win because there is a crown waiting for us, an incorruptible crown that we have to keep our eyes on. So, Father, today, once again, we thank you that you warn us today as you did Korath, as you did your people. You warn us, God, not to scare us, but to prepare us so we can ultimately hear the words of Jesus, well done good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things that will put you in charge over many. God, help us not just to be hearers of your word, but doers, to heed your word and to apply the things that we're going to learn and are learning. And Father God, once again, as we look at Israel's example, Lord, help us not to make the mistakes that they made but God, to grow us and to mature us and to help us to fulfill not our will, our agenda, our purposes, but your will, will it be done. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, if you come today and things are not right between you and God, and today you want to get things right between you and God, here's one preacher saying to you, 
Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to get right with God. Today is the day to repent of your sin, of doing things your way and not God's way. And if God's been tugging at your heart during this message and really the introduction of 1 Corinthians 10 and you want to respond right where you're standing this morning without being ashamed, put your hand up and say, Pastor Brian, I'm not where I need to be, but I need to have God do a work in my life so I can finish this race and run to win. If God's speaking to your heart and you need to have Holy Spirit do some changes in you so you can run to win right where you're at today. Say, God, help me in this in my life. Just holding steady for a moment. Once again, I'm, I'm, my, my goal in, in my life is to make sure no one points a finger at me in heaven and says, why didn't you tell me? No one points a finger and says, Brian, you never gave me opportunity. You never gave me a chance. Just holding steady for a moment. What is Holy Spirit saying to you and speaking to you about right now? Privilege guarantees nothing. Blessings guarantee nothing. Father, having heard your word, help us now to heed your word and to be doers of your word, I pray. I pray this for the entire congregation of Baseline Christian Fellowship. God, those that are, those who have been entrusted into my care, I pray, Father God, that there just be a fire burning with each, within each of our hearts to fulfill the purposes of God in our generation. God, to move beyond privilege, to move beyond blessing. God, to be a people, a person of your presence, God, that will see the purposes of God fulfilled in and through my life to make a difference in the lives of others and to prepare as many people for heaven as we can. I pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Altars are open. If you would like someone to pray for you, I'll be available to pray for you. Uh, have a great week. This Wednesday, we're talking about the birth of Christ in our study. We just started laying a foundation last week. We're talking about the birth of Christ when we're going in the teachings and so of Christ. Uh, six o'clock, love to have you here. Something for youth as well as for boys and girls and a nursery for the little ones. God bless you all. Have a great week in the Lord.